We have asked the Callies to come back and lead us again this morning, and uh, thank you guys for last night and for being here again today. So um, let me just do this. I'm going to pray just for us to start, and, um, and then we'll, we'll sing together again. Just let these words sink past your brain and into your heart. Okay, that's what that's what God wants to do. He's not interested in the academic exercise of trying to form words in particular notes. He's really more interested in forming our hearts into a shape that fits just perfectly into him. And so let's experience him even more this morning. So Father, thank you. Lord, uh some of us here for the first time wondering what they've gotten into. Um, but Lord, let your peace just envelop our time with you today. Lord, we, we need you. You are the prince of peace. You are the God of all peace and all comfort. And uh, Lord, uh, we open our hearts to you right now. And uh, we pray that as Steve and Rebecca lead us, Steve and Rebecca lead us in in song, God, would you lead us, you lead us to soften our hearts, to open our lives to you in ways maybe heretofore we have never done so. But we need you if that's to happen. And so we submit ourselves to you, our voices to you, our hearts to you, our lives to you, so that we may know you, the one true God in Jesus Christ, whom you've sent for us in Jesus name. Amen. You can stand up, please, if you would. Hope be my anthem, Lord, when the world has fallen quiet. You stand beside me, give me a song in the night, Jesus, I need you every moment, I need you
time together we worship you we ask that you would open our hearts for whatever else you have for us on this day in jesus name we pray amen y'all can be seated wonderful thank you both so much rebecca Stephen. thank you Okay, well, we're going to take a moment right now. You're going to hear another uh, from another one of us this morning, anchoring the very proud table three. Um, Cliff Vogel has, has been a friend. I don't know who knows Cliff Vogel, who he is not a friend of. One of the most encouraging, joyful, giving men I know. And... Uh, I am grateful that he agreed this morning to come and share a bit of his story and how the Spirit of God has worked in his life over the years. So welcome, retired postal service man. He delivers for you, Cliff. Come deliver for us. Can I take your earpiece? No, you may not. <laughs> Good morning. Ooh. You know, I, I thought of this analogy. I'm sure the Lord gave me this as a way of describing uh, what you more than likely will see. It already started with Frank's kind words. Uh, it, it's like many years ago, God put my heart in a crock pot. And uh, it's gotten softer and softer. And <laughs> so I tend to get a little... <laughs> Little, little, <laughs> a little emotional, but we're going to do our best. Uh, this this won't take very long. Um, can hit the salient points in in uh, in a few minutes. And um, so, I was brought up in New Orleans, which means more than likely I was brought up in the Catholic Church, which of course I was, and which for which I will always be grateful. By the way, because the foundations of scripture being true. This is, this is what I received. The Bible is true. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, heaven, hell, fundamentals. Um, 
I did not know that you could know the one who wrote that book um, personally. Um, in my own life, it was just being a good person, or so I thought, and, uh, you know, living my life. Um, wonderful family, parents together, my parents. Thought, thought there might be a, a possibility <laughs> getting hung up on this one. Uh, both passed in the last couple of years. Um, together for like 67 years, married. Uh, five brothers and sisters and um, intact home. Uh, thought that was normal, was for us. And uh, with all of our challenges and imperfections, um, that's how I was raised. So... Um, I went to high school at Rommel High School. This is where I can kind of pick up the pace, kind of like hitting the record button, hitting the play button and go. Um, Mike Battle also went to Rommel High School, so just so you know, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so um, I met a guy, uh, we were buddies, and just in a class together, and, and he was silly. His name is Homer, Homer Minshew. You might, somebody may know Homer. Um, we... Uh, he sat in front of me, and he he just attracted my attention. He was funny. Well, I heard that he really went nuts at LSU, that became a party guy and, and all of that. And so um, I'm going to watch the clock. So the um, I, uh, I got into the insurance business with my dad um, in uh, last last part of 1978, sometime in 78. And... Um, Went and saw Homer about insurance, and he was an organized businessman selling telephone systems with Southwest Utilities, and we sat at his kitchen table, and there was a picture of uh, the bread and the wine. Jesus of Nazareth invites you to a, to a dinner to be given in, in his honor um, that way. And uh, a couple of guys that he was living with in the house, they were talking about the Bible <clears throat> on the couch while we're discussing health insurance. He's... You know, this is going on, and I said, okay, this is different. And, and he told me he'd been born again, okay? Something to do with God, that's about all I knew. And um, I can leave out a lot of details, but we wound up getting together for coffee, so I thought, <laughs> um, some months after that. A, a series of just, you know, events leading up to where I called him. He came and picked me up. Our offices were close by downtown. And I went to his office, and there was a couple of other guys that he worked with, uh, his supervisor and another co-worker. And so this is how the morning was. And I'm 21 years old, uh, have no experience in this uh, type of thing. And then he, um, one guy starts to share his story with me, and it was very dramatic. Uh, a Jewish fellow who married, divorced, um, remarried, uh, drugs, alcohol, all, all kinds of stuff, mental institutions. He was describing with him and his wife in there. And then he said, these guys had been talking to him about Jesus. And that one uh, evening by himself, he was with, uh, with the Lord and said, uh, Lord, if you're real, show me. And so he said it, it came together after that over over time, but it, it, God made himself real to him. So I said, okay, I don't really relate so much, but interesting. And then, 
And then when uh, the other guys started talking, he was the boss. And um, I related. He said uh, he thought he was an all right guy. He didn't do things to deliberately hurt people. He'd never killed anyone. He wasn't a drug dealer or anything like that. He said, but there was just something missing in my life. And uh, that I related to, I guess, <laughs> identified with. I had never thought a lot about this, you know, life in, in terms of eternity or Bible or God. I just kind of doing my thing as a self-centered, you know, kind of person. Got married, uh, you know, in, in April of 78. Belinda and I have been married 44 years now with three sons and all married with 10 ready to be 11 grandchildren. So we're pretty excited about that. And, uh, but in terms of, um, where I was at that point, you know, didn't really think deeply about many of these things at all. And so this guy shared his little story with me and I thought, okay, they invited me to say the little prayer that of course, Frank had, uh, had said, and it was something like uh, that we were, given the little card handed out, Lord Jesus, uh, I'm sorry for the things I've done wrong in my life. Uh, please forgive me. I now turn from everything that I know is wrong. I thank you that you died on the cross for me so that I could be forgiven and set free. Thank you that you offer me forgiveness and the gift of your spirit. I now receive that gift. Please come into my life by your Holy Spirit to be with me forever. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. That's what I did, holding the hand of this guy right here. His name is Homer, and he's, God knew this. Uh, I'm in the middle. My best friend is on this side, and the Homer was over here, and we were just uh, acquaintances. And somehow he was in that picture, and my mother snapped that picture on graduation day, uh, Rummel High School. Paige, how is that? You know, it just is amazing. And so I still have the picture. And so, the, you know, that was, that was the guy that I prayed with. I was holding his hand on January 29th, 1979. It was a Monday morning, somewhere around 7 o'clock in the morning as, as, as we were together. And Billy Graham, I'm going to say about that specific time, could tell you exactly when he said his prayer when he was converted. And his wife, Ruth Graham, could not tell you within five years when she was converted. She was brought up in a missionary family, actually born in China to Chinese missionaries. It just goes to show, making the point that if you don't have an exact time and date, it's okay. <laughs> so that's kind of how it started. And from there, um, gosh, it, it, so many things. But before coming to Lakeview, we were at a small church in St. Rose for 23 years, and our kids grew up there. And, and uh, then we came over here on February 17th, uh, 2013, is when we started here at Lakeview. And between the, the teaching uh, that we have received, um, plus morning by morning time spent with God Almighty has become, uh, for me, something I kind of thought was real, but sort of like uh, now I'm experiencing something of that. And to wrap up, um, pretty good, huh, Frank? Um, to wrap up, and I wrote this on my little card this morning. Okay, First Peter 1, verses 8 and 9 says... 
Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not. It's kind of hard to begin thinking about my precious best friend and my kid little. Uh, You love him. Though you do not now see him, you rejoice. You No, you believe him in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Uh, this is one of my favorite verses, to be sure. The joy of knowing God and making him known. The joy of getting to know the person of Almighty God and his love and amazing grace and sharing that love with others. This life of joy is God's delight to give us here in this moment of time called the dash and then to take us home where we will experience unimaginable joy for all eternity in the line. And and being taken home is a good thing, which is very exciting to me because I am a giant homebody at heart. Uh, So if seeing the Grand Canyon in Arizona, which I have been blessed to do twice, is something that has to be experienced to be understood... How much more must this relationship with God be experienced coming out of Adam and into Christ to be truly understood, which is my prayer for each and every one of us uh, to God be the glory. Thank you. I know Homer meant you. You do? I mean, with a name like Homer Minshew, how could you be forgotten? There can only be one Homer Minshew. No, I don't, I don't recognize him. <laughs> you don't? <laughs> oh, that was careful. I was just trying to get Homer to come this morning. That, that, would, be, that would have been great. Well, thank you, Cliff. Um, and thank you guys for coming back this morning. Um, just excited. I was excited about what... The things we experienced together last night. Uh, thanks for coming back, Lisa. It's good to have you back. Um, I just want to, real quick, a couple announcements. Uh, this Tuesday night in Alpha, and uh, I want to welcome all of you, whether this is your first time or your, will be your ninth time, uh, to, to join us. We're going to be talking about uh, what about the church? What does the Bible have to say about the church? And we've got all kinds of different denominations and different ways of worshiping and uh, praying and all that. What does the Bible have to say about the church? And so many of us grew up in different traditions, whether they were Catholic or Baptist or Methodist or Episcopal or non-denominational. I mean, there's so many different traditions. But what simply, when you can you boil all this down, and what is the church all about? What's the reason? What's the purpose? What is God doing in the church? Because all I knew was, as Cliff knew, or each of us knew, we just knew our tradition. That's all we knew. We didn't know there was anything but that. Um, And so when I, as I told you, opened the Bible and started to find out that God was not an institutional God. He was an intimate, personal, relational God. If you and I have recognized that the deepest part of our being is relational, and we've talked about that throughout Alpha. The deepest part of our being is relational. God, thereby, if he created us, is a relational God. And so he wants us to know him individually, 
intimately and experience him more corporately as we get together. That's what it's called family. It's called the body of Christ is the gathered church with different gifts, different capacities, different personalities to make this one body that is joined together by the work of the Holy Spirit. And so that is so exciting for us to know and to experience a God that wants us to experience life in him and to be delivered out of the chaos of this world. So, Cliff, thank you again. A gentleman by the name of Ira Griffith Yates Jr. grew up in the United States of America to a cattle ranching family but found himself, after his parents had died, eventually in the grocery business in West Texas, just south of Midland. Uh, he traded his surprisingly successful grocery store and sundries store for a 16,640-acre river ranch in Pecos County, Texas, as I said, just below Midland, in June of 1915. Since he had more experience ranching than as a grocer, he welcomed the trade, paying around $16,000 more than what he had originally paid over the next three years for the farming and ranching property. Herding, selling, and caring for cattle was a bunch of work. He knew about it. But droughts and other impediments in owning land made things really, really difficult. And the Dust Bowl of the 20s and the 30s uh, created quite an impediment to owning the land. But in the 1920s, as his property was struggling and he was struggling to make a profit, he approached a man with Transcontinental Oil Company to drill for oil. Well, no one really believed that there was oil to be found in West Texas. But they, they, they were moved by Mr. Yates, and they began to drill. And when they hit 997 feet beneath the surface of the Permian Basin there, they hit more oil than they could contain. The oil ran and ran and ran. They had no way to stop it, and they had no way to contain it until they basically brought it over to an area where there was a basin and they let the oil run into the basin until they could finally shut the well in. Um, to this day, over 1.5 billion barrels were extracted from the Yates Field. Since then, making the Yates Field historically one of the most profitable and oil-rich reservoirs ever discovered in the United States of America. Today... Um, we have Yates Petroleum Company. We don't have Yates Cattle Farm. We don't have Yates Grocery Store. We have a multi-billion dollar conglomeration. Now the question is, when did Ira Yates become a billionaire? Was it when they found the oil? Or had he always been a billionaire and just didn't know it because he hadn't drilled down to discover the fullness of what was his.
Now, this morning, if you are here, and forgive me, those of you here for the first time, and wonder why styrofoam cups are such a centerpiece of a meeting, and you have not surrendered to Christ, okay, we found that we're all still in Adam apart from Christ. But if Christ has saved us by the Holy Spirit, we have. We are living in and living in us is the resource, is the God who created all things. But for, for you or me who may have surrendered to Christ, have come to know him, we are ever learning the depths of the riches of who we have. Not what we have, but who we have in the person of the Holy Spirit. I wonder how awkward it was for Mr. Yates to become a billionaire. You know, he was, just a, he was a grocery store owner, and then he bought this land, and he wasn't making any money, probably many times wished he hadn't given his grocery store away, basically. But can you imagine that trade? But he grew into understanding the depths of the riches that were his. Now, in the, in the analogy that I'm bringing forth here, the depths of the riches that were his were so much more than he could have ever imagined. But when the Spirit of God comes to live in a human being, in a person who surrenders to Christ, the depths of the riches that we have in him are more than we can imagine. But that which God desires to reveal to us more and more. You know, one of the things that we say as human beings that we want today, if, you, if I were to ask people today, what are you looking for out of life? You know, when you boil it all down, it really comes, I think, to one thing. Happiness. Peace. I mean, that's basically what we are looking for. But where do we find that in a world that is, you know, the stock market is taking a dump. Okay, I mean, it's horrible what's happening in the stock market today. Uh, you can look in so many neighborhoods and so many neighborhoods, peaceful neighborhoods are no longer peaceful neighborhoods. Things that we've invested so much of our life in it, we're counting on those things to come through for us just aren't coming through for us anymore. We're looking for really beneath all that a sense of belonging, a sense of assurance, a sense of comfort, a sense of well-being that seems completely incapable of our receiving in this topsy-turvy world. But... The God of all comfort said he has offered and given that to each and every one of us who would put our trust in him. A peace that cannot be shaken. A belonging that can never be changed. You know, it's interesting. Um, uh, there's a picture here of uh, the president of the United States, John Kennedy. Now, um, John Kennedy was, being the president of the United States, felt very, maybe felt comfortable in the Oval Office, but he was the president of the United States. But you see, not just anybody gets to come into the Oval Office. 
right? I mean, if you today decided, well, I'm going to just fly to D.C. and I'm just going to go through the security guards and they're just going to let me right in to, to visit with the president. Um, that ain't happening. This is not going to happen. I mean, and if you really try to make it happen, they will be more than happy to bring you someplace else that you don't want to go. But John Kennedy, president of the United States, he had a little boy. And his son knew that his daddy, the president of the United States, was his son, was his dad. And because of that, he had absolutely no problem going in and out of the Oval Office. And so though we're talking about the seal of the most powerful person in the world, it didn't matter to, to little John John because this is his daddy. And he went wherever he wanted to go because the president was his dad. And he could run to his dad and be with his dad. There's even pictures of, which I don't have for you here, which I could have brought today, of John Kennedy with several of his cabinet members talking about the Bay of Pigs invasion, if you're familiar with that, where the U.S. <laughs> attacked Cuba. You'd have thought we'd have won that one easy. Um, and John John is just sitting there playing on the, toy, on the, on the floor with toys because he was in his dad's place. The most powerful man in the world was his dad. See, the God that created all things says... I'm your home. I have accomplished for you in birthing you into my kingdom a peace and a comfort and a belonging and a sense of well-being that nothing in this world can give you, give you. And that comes as the Spirit of God brings us into relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus, as he was talking to his disciples, wanted them to know of the spirit that Jesus was going to be bringing so that he would bring to their memory all the things that God had for them, bring to their mind all the things that God had for them. And so in the Gospel of Luke, this is what, what Jesus says. He says, so I, I say to you, ask and you will, and, and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives. And he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. And then he says this. Now suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. Will he not, will he, he will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he's asked for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? Now we got to change here. Or if he asks for an egg, sorry. He will not give, us, give him a scorpion, will he? If you then, fathers, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And so Jesus is making it, I think, perfectly clear that God has for us something more than just what takes place in the 70, 80, 90, 40, 30 years that we get on this planet. Something more than any 
even well-meaning earthly father can give, he wants you and me to experience him. The depths in the analogy of Mr. Yates, the peace in the analogy of the president of the United States, he wants you and me to experience all that he is and all that he has for us. How much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And so we recognized last night as we saw that we need the spirit to give us life. We need the spirit to understand how much God loves us. And, and Jesus told his disciples that when he ascends into heaven, God will give them the spirit who will be the source of the depths of the riches of jo life, joy, peace, patience, meekness, all those things that come from the spirit. And Jesus told his disciples that you will receive power when the spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the very ends of the earth. For us, he would have written like you'll be my witnesses in New Orleans and Metairie and Wagaman and to the, maybe even to Boothville, Venice. So, so, but he's saying that you will receive power, the very power of God for life, for peace in the midst of chaos, for love in the midst of hatred, for joy in the midst of sorrow. That is the promise of the cross of Jesus Christ given to us when God sends us the Holy Spirit. And so this work is a fascinating work. Now, on your table, you have got some concentric circles. And I want, if you don't have those right now, I want you to ha get them in front of you um, because I want to just kind of do a little bit of a diagram with us right now to see what the Spirit does. Now, which way is up? Good question. The two lines on the top are up. And if you don't have one, I want you, anybody not have one of those, would you just let me know? It's only one per table. Okay. Well, that's going to make it kind of hard. Grab your, okay, thank you. Do you have more than one per table? Yeah, just, just then use the back of your notebook. Um, I'm sorry. Use your notes. Um, I am sorry that everybody didn't get one. I assumed that that was done. Forgive me. All right. So let's just, if you can, just look up here for a minute because I'm, I'm sorry that this is going to be a little bit of a distraction. Don't let it be a distraction. Try not to be, let it be a distraction. Okay. So we see scripture, just a little bit of a... Uh, difference of opinion in scripture, but uh, by, by certain people, but that we're made up of three parts, that we are body, which you can see, right? That we filled our faces and our stomachs with this morning with, with food. We are body, we are soul, and we are spirit, right? Now, our spirit relates to God. Our spirit relates to God. Our soul relates to others. Our mind, our wills, our emotions relate to others. And our body relates to our environment. Okay? Body, you can see that, you can feel that. Soul 
You feel that in a different way. You feel that on the inside. You feel that with your emotions. You feel that with your choices. You feel that with the way you think. That's what we do. And then spirit is that which relates to God. Right? Now, when we are in Adam, when we have not accepted Christ to be our Savior, our spirit is dead, separated from God. That's what the Bible says. Okay? For the wages of our sinfulness is death. So we have no capacity to relate to God in the depth of our being, in our spirit. But what we relate to is the world, that which from the outside. So everything that's from the outside affects us. Everything coming from the outside is where we draw opinions, where we draw direction, that uh, we, we think, we choose, we act. And so this, this would be a picture of a human, so to speak, without the spirit of Christ in him, only able to relate to others and the environment. With the necessity of God, yet still God having to communicate with us. So, let's talk about having been taken out of Adam and placed into Christ. What does the Spirit of God do? Because all of this is incumbent upon the Spirit of God to do this. So, body, soul, spirit. When coming to Christ, what the work of the Spirit does now begins to affect the way I think and choose and feel. And the way I think and choose and feel affects what takes place, where I find myself, what I say, what I do. And that affects those around me. Okay? Would you just shake your head to say, I'm completely confused right now. What should I do? <laughs> okay. Thank you. I, I knew I could count on the back table. Right? Because what God has done in my, by the Holy Spirit, it affects the way I think, choose, and feel. It affects the way my body responds. Um, how, do you get, how do you get ulcers? It's not by eating ulcers. You, acid builds up in your, your gut because of what? Because of what you think, what you feel. Okay, so, so, so you with me? So, so in my spirit, these are your lines on the top, just for a clue. Okay. It has been finished. My relationship with God is settled. It is intact. I am secure. It is finished. I have been saved. There's nothing more that needs to be done if you're in Christ to have you completely, totally, eternally secure in your relationship with God, knowing that, again, forgive me, you guys, this is life in the dash. This is our 50, 60, 70, 80 years of life. This is the other side of our last heartbeat. So God gives me this security in the dash that on the other side of my last heartbeat, right here where this fourth finger is, forever I know in the dash that I will be forever in the line secure with God. And so, and this is the thing, I, a, a, good, a good gentleman that came, a good friend of Annette's and mine, you said this, if you are in Christ, someone comes up to you, puts a gun to your, to your head, 
I don't want to, I'm going to slow it up. Thank you, Andy. Thank you. For those of you watching live stream. Yeah, we, <laughs> Andy's trying to slip a piece of paper through the lens right now. Uh, so, so David Needham would say this. He said, if, you, if, if somebody were to walk up to me as being in Christ, my spirit is alive. I am in perfect harmony with God. You could put a gun to my head and pull the trigger and blow my brains out. And if you could hear me speak, you would hear me say this, you missed, you missed because we're so much more than body and so much more than what we think, choose or feel in the depth of our being. The Bible says we are spirit. Okay. By the way, are, are you people freezing right now? Could we do something to turn this down to maybe a refrigerator and not a freezer? Thank you. I can't. I mean, the chattering of my teeth is I'm having a hard time. Oh, gosh. I think we own the power company or something here. Okay. Thank you, Kim, because you helped me have the courage to say that. Or, or I was going to come take your sweater. Either way. Um, Okay. All right. So let's, okay. So, and this TV is not putting out any heat whatsoever. Okay. So, so are you with me? It has been finished. I have been past completed action. John three, three, that which is born of the spirit is spirit. It doesn't say that which is born of the spirit is becoming spirit. Will one day be spirit. So that which is born of the spirit is spirit. If you are in Christ, you could not be today any more fitted for heaven than you are. Now, if that's true, I, I say this a lot. No better news. Because you and I don't know for sure. We assume we're going to make it out of here today. But if you and I are in Christ, we will make it out of here today. Our body may not make it out of here today, but our spirit will make it out of here today. Because that which is born of God's spirit is filled by the Holy Spirit and therefore owned by the Holy Spirit and goes into, into the line forever with God. Okay. Now, let's talk about our soul. Our soul is being finished. We're still in process. I am being saved. I am being transformed. Okay. That's Romans 12, two and Philippians three, 12 through 14, Romans 12, two don't any longer because you're in Christ in the spirit. Don't be conformed any longer to the way the world thinks the way those in Adam think. Don't think the way you used to think. We were talking about that today at our table. When we talked about examples of our lives of the prodigal, the way we were and the way we are and the way we're becoming. So it is being finished in my soul. The work because of the work, of, excuse me, because of the work of the spirit and the spirit's work in me, completed action. Now I'm being that's pouring out, if you will, pouring out into my soul, in my mind, in my will and in my emotions. Okay. The way I think, the way I choose and the way I feel. Now I've noticed this since God has, by his grace, through the Holy Spirit, saved me. I've noticed over the years the way I think, the way I choose, and the way I 
feel has been transformed. And I think many of you would shake your head and say, yep, that's happened for me as well. That's the work of the Spirit of God. It's not so much that which is coming from the outside in. It's that now we're inside-out people. And in Adam, you're an outside-in person. In Christ, so in, so in Adam, you have an Audi. And in Christ, you have an innie. Does that, does that help? Okay. Don't, don't anybody look down right now and go. Okay. So, so he changes us. That is his. The spirit of God comes and finishes me. He makes me forever Christ. He seals me. Paul says to the Ephesians in chapter one, we have been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Sealed. Jesus said, no one takes you out of my hand. No one can anyway snatch you out of my hand. And so we're forever secure because of what Christ did, not because of what we do. And in our souls, we are being transformed. Mind, will, and emotions. Right? Even the Apostle Paul said in the third chapter of the Philippians, to the, uh, the third chapter of Philippians, I have not yet attained perfection, but this I know, forgetting what's behind and reaching to what's ahead, I press on toward the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And so already, not yet, but in process, spirit, soul, and body, well, the body's just going to have to wait, right? We will be saved. The body, it's, it's like, if you will, it's kind of like reverse gravity. Our spirit man, if you will, the more we know Christ by the spirit, we're being lifted up. We're knowing this God more. But our bodies, well, it just seems like there's a gravitational pull in the other direction, doesn't there? Everything seems to be sagging. So... In the spirit, we have reverse gravity taking place, lifting us more and more to be like the God who is in us by the Holy Spirit. But gravitational pull of the natural is pulling us downward till eventually we cannot stand, we cannot sit, we cannot lie, we only die. Now, that was quite a nice poem that I just put together there. I had no idea. That was, would somebody, is this being recorded? That was awesome. Okay, so, so it will be finished. We will be saved. I had the privilege of doing a, 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 a memorial service for a dear friend of ours that passed away almost two weeks ago. Um, in 2 Corinthians 5, while we're in these tents, okay, Paul calls the body a tent. It's, it's an earth suit, right? It's something that we only have as long as we're on earth. It's a tent. It's portable. It's temporary. He said, but when we put on the tent, we have a building from God. Big, big tent versus building. A building from God, not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. All right? So God's done it. God's doing it. God will do it. But because he has done it, I know 
if the Spirit of God lives in me, he will continue the work that he's begun with in me. And even saying that he who, Paul says, he who began a good work in us will complete it until the day of Christ, till the day we see Jesus face to face. And so something I thought would just be, I hope is helpful here in seeing, because some people ask the question, well, why do I still sin? I, I surrender my life to Christ. Did the Holy Spirit not come and save me because I'm still sinning? Yeah, but here's the cool thing. You're more aware, probably as I was, of self-centeredness, the things that come out of your mouth, than you were before the Holy Spirit came in and saved you. Can anyone relate to that? So there is a greater awareness of the things that we do that were like things you wouldn't even have noticed previous or just like, ouch, that's the spirit of God firing away from your spirit into our mind and our wills and our emotions to convict us of things that don't look like the Christ who is in us by the Holy Spirit and the Christ who we are in by the Holy Spirit. That's what he does. And it begins to change the places that, the places that we go, things that we say, even the desires change. I cannot explain that. But for the Spirit of God. And, and as Paul wrote, read, wrote to the Romans, his Spirit, the Holy Spirit, testifies to our spirit that we are children of God. And that's totally the work of the Spirit to continue, <clears throat> excuse me, to, to fill us over and over again. So if you're in Christ, the Spirit of God has fully infiltrated your spirit and you are fully his. And that work of transformation continues, right? And so when Peter writes this to the church, 2 Peter, he says, his divine power. Now, what is his divine power? His divine power is the Holy Spirit, right? You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you shall be my witnesses. You receive power when the Spirit comes upon you because the Spirit is the power that we receive. We don't receive some electrical current like some 220 just got plugged into us. We receive God the Spirit who is the manifest power of God. All this Bible is saying is true. His divine power, now look at the verb tense here, has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises let's go back here for a second his divine power has past completed action granted to us all things that pertain to Life and godliness through knowing him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. So in the spirit of God who now lives in us all the wisdom, all the knowledge, all that we need is there. Now there's not some spigot here. This, tap, this happens 
as this continues to happen, through the knowledge of him. You remember week six of Alpha? The more we know him, right? Jesus said, this is eternal life, that you know the Father and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. That's eternal life. That's it. I was about to go back to my spirit here. That's eternal life, that you know the Father. It's knowledge of God, coming to know this God who makes himself known to us. He wants to make himself known to each and every one of us in this room. And not just make himself known to us once, but twice. And into every bit and part of our lives and beings until the day we, our hearts stop and we get to know him as we have been fully known. And so our progressive knowing him is a work of the spirit as we submit ourselves continuously to the spirit. There's so much more to be said about that. So through the knowledge of him who called us, who called you, by the way, did you call yourself? Did you make this choice? I don't think it says that through the knowledge of the initiator, God himself through Jesus Christ, by the Holy Spirit, the knowledge of him who called us. He called us to his own glory and he called us to his own excellence. And he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. The best promise, the first promise, the promise that makes every other promise promisable and done is the promise of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I will not leave you as orphans. I will send you the spirit. He will be with you and he will be in you. And I will never leave you and I will never turn my back on you. And so Paul keeps praying. And this is how Paul prays for the church at Ephesus. And I want you to get that this is a little lengthy here. Um, but it's Ephesians chapter, if you may want to write this, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 17 through 19. It'll be, it'll be notated on the last slide. But here's what Paul prays for the churches, okay? These are people that are in Christ. They make up a church or several churches, and Paul is writing his letter to them for them to read and for us to read. So whatever Paul wrote in the first century to this church in Turkey, present-day Turkey, he wrote to us by the Holy Spirit. And this is his prayer. Now, look, I've memorized this prayer. I hope you're impressed. I've memorized this prayer because I want this to be ingrained in my soul so that the way I think and the way I feel and the way I choose is more consumed with the way the Spirit of God wants to think in me and how he wants to fill me and not how Frank thinks he wants to be filled. So Paul says this, I keep asking. He didn't ask once. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious father may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Now, Paul knows they have the spirit because they have Christ. You can't have Christ. You can't be born again and not have the spirit. So he's saying that this spirit of wisdom and revelation is a man. He wants that manifestation of the spirit may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. I could just stop there and say, how many of us, if we could have the wisdom that we need or the understanding, that's another way revelation is translated. How many of us would want that? Well, sure. I mean, like, duh. Yeah, you're going to give me that. It's not going to cost me. I don't need 10 counseling appointments at $300 an hour. Is that what you're telling me? Well, that's, it seems like what Paul's saying. Not, that was not a slam on counselors. Please don't, <laughs> did not mean that. 
He may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Why? Why would he want us to have that? Look at what it says. So that you may know him better. Now, why would I need to know him better? Because the more I know him, the more I know of him, the more I know of me, and the more I desire him and his wisdom and his understanding and revelation, and the less I desire of the world's wisdom and my wisdom. I want to be constantly filled with the Spirit to experience Him so that you may know Him better. That's why God wants to give you and me wisdom and revelation because out of Him, the wellspring of life, the Bible says, comes all we need for life and godliness, which I just read to you a moment ago from Second Peter, Peter's second letter to the churches. I pray this that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Okay, mind, will, emotions. I pray that the eyes of your heart, not your physical eyes, but on the inside of you, you will have wisdom and revelation. Your heart will be enlightened so that you may know the hope to which he has called you. What a hope. It's a hope it's a hope in the dash for as many years we get on the planet. And, it's a, and that hope becomes reality forever. But this hope is a hope that we have right now that he wants us to grow and grow in the knowledge of him so we know that hope better and better. The hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Okay, His holy people are those who are in Christ. Because of Christ and his incomparably great power. That's the Holy Spirit for those of us who believe that power. You know what that power is? It's the same power as the mighty strength he exerted. The father exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Now, this is quite a prayer. This kind of encapsulates every aspect of our lives. Whatever your profession is, do you need wisdom and understanding from God? Do you need the hope of his calling in you that makes you capable and me capable of doing things we just can't do naturally? Makes us better. I can remember when Annette was um, in a uh, skiing accident and um, we had to get uh, an ambulance take us for an hour and a half to... Uh, place where she get her femur no longer in two pieces but one um and i remember praying for the doctor um and I, and i prayed god make this doctor better than he is and what i was saying is what paul is saying you make us better than we are according to your wisdom and your understanding and your capacity. That power is the same power which raised Christ from the dead. And where is that, by the way? For all who are in Christ. Now, that sounds so weird because, and the only reason it seems weird is because we experience that power so rarely because we're so accustomed to relying on our own power. I, do you need healing? Well, I. I can go to a doctor and I thank God for doctors. I don't thank God for the bills that I received after the doctors, but I do. I, I'm, 
I'm grateful for the capacity there. But God is a God that heals in, in church uh, this past Sunday. Um, we asked the question, how many of you have been healed without the necessity of a doctor laying hands on you? And I don't know how many hands went up, but dozens of hands went up in the room. I, I, I raised my hand because I was diagnosed with prostate cancer in 2012. And I was a little bit surprised by that. Um, and I was going to have treatment in, a, in Mexico for, a, pro, for a, a procedure that had not been legalized in the United States yet. And God said, no, you're not doing that. I mean, again, oh yeah, okay. So you had a conversation with God. Is that what you're saying? Uh, after how many drinks did you have this conversation with God? Well, no, I'm just minding my own business. And this thought says, go back to your doctor, have him re-examine you. And if you know anything about having a prostate exam, you don't want to do that. Um, <laughs> Chuck does know about that. Um, and, and then have your, and have, have your family pray for you and have your doctor examine you. So I said, okay. So prayed, doctor re-examined me. He said, I don't feel any malignancy, which is a strange thing to say because you don't feel a malignancy necessarily. So I went back, had another biopsy done, and it was still malignant. So I said, okay. So you know what I did? And my grandkids did? They prayed for me again. And I have no prostate cancer. Without any treatments, no prostate being removed, no little radiation seeds being jammed up into my prostate. <laughs> Healed. To the best of my knowledge, from the, everything the doctors see, it's gone. I can't explain that. Except for the power which raised Jesus from the dead. Raising prostate cancer out of my prostate and out of my body. I, I don't know how to explain that other words, uh, otherwise. But this, this, is, this is the power that he gives, the power for your career, the power for broken relationships, the power for addictions being crushed, the power for loneliness to be swallowed up in the awareness of his presence. This is, this is what he does and has done and will always do. And he wants us to know that. Um, I thought this morning, um, I asked my bride if she would come and just uh, and take a moment and just share with us her story. Um, and uh, then after uh, that, um, I thought we would just spend some time praying together. Um, so, Nat, if you come, here's my beloved. We're going to hit 44 right after. Years of marriage. Hmm? Years of marriage. We're going to have yeah, 44, not years on the planet. But there was no life before I was married to you, sweetheart. You know, one thing the Holy Spirit does apparently around here is make men cry. What you think? I know. My goodness. <laughs> I don't think I will, but you never know. All right, let me see. All right. 
So I was Annette Levy before I was Annette Levy Loria. And um, I grew up in a household. My dad left when I was seven. So I have three sisters. So it was five women in a house together. And it was not little women, I can assure you. We all had our own rooms, locked the doors, not allowed to borrow clothes. My mother's philosophy was she was going to rear four independent women. And uh, if you saw the four of us, she succeeded. Um, I was the tomboy in the family. Uh, I think uh, I got in a lot of trouble. I was very, very angry all the time. Uh, Frank wants me to share this. I think... Uh, he wanted he wanted to do it on uh, what week is that? Where you talk about the coincidences that get people to relate? What week is that? The Holy Spirit first last week? Okay. Anyway, he wants me to tell you that we don't meet if I don't punch a nun in the face. All right. Um, when I was in eighth grade, uh, I got in an altercation with my eighth grade nun. And I didn't like what she was telling me I had to do, so I punched her in the face. And I got kicked out of St. Rita, and I ended up going to Ridgewood for the next three nine-week sessions. Um, fast forward, um, I get through that. I go to Dominican. Um, I, I would say my belief system, though, you know, welcome. I was reared Catholic. Um, I guess, though, that my belief system was more like, just I could do whatever I wanted to do and make it through my way. And if I had to lie or cheat or steal or in which I did all those things, um, I just was about me. That's all that I can really remember about all that. Um, some of you in here were some of my bar friends. Uh, <laughs> uh, I got into more trouble in high school, almost got kicked out of Dominican, but managed not to. Went off to LSU, got more trouble. Um, first football game, freshman year, Frank jokingly says I was hanging from a chandelier. It was more like the ice capades uh, at the Deke House. You can ask me later what that is. Um, but we met the first football game freshman year. We were 17. Okay, 17. Started doing drugs when I was 12, um, like Tara. So um, I had no direction, absolutely none. I was a ceramics major because my sister was a ceramics major, and I knew some of the teachers there. So in a 24-hour period at LSU, I dropped out. Um, and then I went and found out I lost my job that day. And that night I went and got drunk at the White Horse and hit a tree at the south gates of LSU. You can still see the dent in it, even though it's a lot bigger now, going 45 miles an hour in my Volkswagen. Um, and then the next day, I received a letter in the mail from an insurance company in Massachusetts because nobody local would insure me because I was such a bad driver. And they had canceled my insurance. So I had no insurance for everything that happened with my car. Okay. So did God get my attention? No. Uh, and uh, so I was clearly the prodigal. You don't have to answer that one at my table. Um, he did not. I started working in clubs in the quarter and making jewelry and just with no car. Um, but I would, uh, Frank was like my best friend, I think. I didn't know a good man. Every man in my life, my dad left when I was seven, and I dated a lot of older men because they were smart and I liked to converse. And, uh, and I liked stuff that they could buy me. So, uh, 
But Frank was like a brother to me, and I never wanted to encourage that relationship. But um, so I was dating a bar owner in Baton Rouge. I was 19, dating a guy who was 35. And he owned a bar in Baton Rouge, and I would go up on the weekends to work in the bar and hang out and all that stuff. So Frank had invited me as my friend. He was still up at LSU. He invited me to go to church with him one Sunday, and I felt really bad about saying no because he was so nice. And uh, so we closed the club about five or six. I was still a little high with a little cocaine in my system, and I went to church with Frank. And it was the chapel at LSU's campus. And that day, that morning, I had heard that if I had been the only person that ever walked on the planet, that Jesus would have still died for me because that's how much he loved me and would take control of this life that he made if I gave it to him. And uh, somewhere in that, I had heard the analogy that you don't take your car to be fixed at a beauty parlor. You take a car to a mechanic. And so I had been trying to fill my life. I had been the girl who was taking my car to the beauty parlor. I was trying everything in the world to fix this life rather than giving it to the one who made it. So I was like, okay, you want this life? You could do a better job clearly than I'm doing. Uh, you can have it. And so that was as spiritual as I was. But the next day I woke up to do my normal morning line of cocaine and I threw it in the toilet. And I was like, okay, well, that's weird. Because yesterday I wanted it, why don't I want it today? And so things just started to completely change in my life. Um, moved back. I was in New Orleans at the time. Frank said, you got to get involved. And he had given his life to Christ six or eight months before me. So this was December of 1976 in that little church where I had said yes. I gave up. I gave him my life. Uh, I, got, I joined a little Bible study in New Orleans with old people. They were like in their 40s. And, uh, but they were really nice. I didn't know people who were in their forties. I mean, I just, you know how you are, you hang around with your own peeps. So, uh, and then, uh, we found this little church uptown on magazine street it used to be a, uh, X-rated movie theater, but we found out from a friend of ours, you could go to this church and wear shorts. So we're in, you can wear shorts to this little church. And, uh, it was at that little church that, um, God was changing as Frank put that sign up. That's that diagram up. I could feel, obviously, my decisions were changing immediately from my mind. Uh, my will uh, was really changing. It's like God just immediately started taking all those things. Then going to this little church, uh, I started to understand that it's not just changing it to do better things. That like There's a whole other world of what the Holy Spirit's supposed to be doing with us. And... Uh, you know, the mind would be like reading the Bible and having a sense or an impression from God about certain things. That's something the Holy Spirit gives you. And it's written in, um, in Corinthians, all these gifts of the Spirit, which, you know, if you just use your mind naturally, you're like, okay, is that like speaking in tongues and all, like things that you don't understand if you're just looking at it from the outside in? But this little church had all this stuff. And it was really kind of strange. The first thing that I noticed when I walked in is people were raising their hands and singing loudly. And that's not my history. And uh, so I don't know if the guy, I felt like he knew me personally. I don't know if you get that feeling sometimes. But uh, he said, what do you do if somebody puts a gun in your back? And I immediately thought, you know, you say, 
I surrender. Take everything. You can have it. That's what you raise your hands for when they put your hands up. That's what they mean. And, I, and he said, well, that's what we do here. You put your hands up because you're surrendering. And you're telling God you can have everything that I have. I was like, well, I do feel like that. I can do that. So therefore, it wasn't uh, uncomfortable for me anymore. And so I did want to tell God, I love you. And you can take everything that I have. So it was things like that that really started changing me, not just uh, my actions, but my thoughts about what God wanted to fill my heart with that I could then go out into the environment, Frank Drew, the other way around. Um, So I found myself really kind of desiring that kind of stuff. And uh, it's in the Bible. There's a lot about spiritual gifts, you know, that you could know something about someone to go pray for them that you wouldn't have known normally, but God gave you the idea to say, um, you know, are you having a problem right now with your stomach? And I go, yeah, how'd you know? Well, I don't know that, but if God kind of can work through me as a vessel and say that, I was like, wow, that's kind of supernatural. That's kind of cool. And he is a God of the supernatural. So I remember uh, going up one time because I thought when I heard about what tongues was, I thought, okay, what is that all about? And so in reading the Bible, it was like, it's some way that you can communicate with God without using this thing, which, you know, I'm a talker. I've been a talker, you know, big talker all my life. I talk myself in and out of everything. And so um, I said, gee, I, yeah, God, if you want to give me anything, you can give me anything you want. My, I told you when I gave my life to you that you could have it and do with it what you want. That's what I said um, back in 1976. And I still meant it, and I still mean it today. Whatever you want to do, Lord, you can have me. So I went up, and people prayed for me, and they laid hands on me, and, you know, nothing happened. And so, But they did tell me this, which was good. They said, you know, again, like Frank's teaching, you have the Holy Spirit, when he chooses to manifest what he wants to do in and through you, that's his business. Like, okay. So I went home and was just in my little apartment uh, over grocery on Britannia Street. And uh, I was praying, and all of a sudden words came out of my mouth that were not mine. And it was very strange at first, but there was sort of a strange but then comfortable uh, peace that happened. And... um, it was a, a sweet time. And so there's a lot in the Bible, a lot the Holy Spirit does. I know that your manual, we're not going to get into a lot of that, but the manual goes into what the Holy Spirit does. And uh, you can read that in your manual that we've been having for 10 weeks. My point is to say this, that he's a giver of good gifts. And um, anything God wants to give me, and, and this is my prayer, anything God wants to give me that will, he will be blessed by, I will be grow by, and that you guys can be encouraged by, I'm all about getting that. So that's my story about the Holy Spirit. Uh, my better three quarters, as I say often. So, so anyway, um, hopefully that helps to just give us a sense of God just works in the lives of every human 
that has surrendered to Christ and has the spirit of God living in him. And he, and, and he manifests himself in so many different ways. I mean, I can think through my career, just early on in my career, just not knowing what I was going to do. And God just giving clear direction. I, I think of the things that, that have happened in my life. I think of, and I, I would hope you're thinking in your life, like, how did I get here? Okay, I mean, you know, my girlfriend dragged me here this morning. I, mean, I, I had no intent. I was, this is Saturday, for heaven's sake. What am I doing in a church? Um, I mean, they're, they're just... There are just so many different things that put us into a place we never thought we would be. But it's where the, if you'll allow me, just the Holy Spirit just sneakily brought you. Because he wants, not because he wants anything from you. He just wants to give everything to you. So that you can have what Jesus said, life. There's no life in this world. Your, our hearts may be beating. We may be physically alive. But to God, we are separated from him. And Christ comes to give us by the Holy Spirit life that we cannot have otherwise. And then he comes to continue to give us life and to fill him to experience things that are really amazing. That aren't necessarily that peculiar. But then even experience things that are really peculiar. But the most important work of the Holy Spirit is, this, is the work that takes me out of going to an eternal separation from God. And gives me assurance that I will be with him forever if I don't make it to the end of this day. And there's no better deal than that because who cares if you win the lottery at 5 o'clock and you get $500 million and you die at 6 o'clock. Big whoop. But if you've got Yates Field in you, if you've got a reserve of an expanse of wealth that goes beyond the dash and into forever, that is ours now and forever, you can keep your 500 million. If I get the God who created it all and says, I promise you life now, even in tribulation, and life like you cannot imagine the other side of your last heartbeat. That's what the Spirit does. And he does it over and over and over again. And so Paul writes to the Ephesians, again, he says this, don't get drunk with wine, that's debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord in your heart. Let me just unpack that just briefly. Paul is, again, there, there are arguments within different realms of Christendom. He doesn't say don't drink. He's saying don't get drunk. In other words, don't lose control is what he's saying. So he's not saying, okay, you come to Christ, throw out all your liquor. Uh, I'm not telling you whether you would do that or not. That's between you and God. That's, that's your call with the Spirit of God, not mine, and nor any churches for that matter. That's between you and the Holy Spirit, period. Let God tell you that. But it's debauchery. It's living out of control. So don't be drunk with wine. 
Don't be drunk with drugs. Don't be drunk with sports. Don't be drunk with shopping. Don't be drunk with narcissism. Don't be drunk with your wardrobe. Don't be drunk with your job. Don't be drunk with your car. Don't be, in other words, don't be controlled by that. Don't find your identity in that because your identity will only last for as long as your heart is ticking. But Paul says, be filled with. Now that word filled right there is not just be filled once. It literally in the, in the Greek means to be filled. It's the continuous present tense of the verb. Be being filled. In other words, in other words God desires for us to be filled with the knowledge of him and the joy and the peace and the life that he has promised to each and every one of us as we need him. There was a day that I needed to be filled by the spirit in such a way that he would heal my body of cancer. There's a day in my life that I needed God to fill me that I would be delivered from an enormous fear that was controlling the way I thought and the things I did. There was a day I needed to be released from fill in the blank. And that's where we find ourselves right now. There's a blank right there and you know where it's, what it is that will fill it in and you need the Holy Spirit to fill you so that that no longer controls you or controls me. For some of us this morning, we're just going to pray in just a minute. For some of us this morning, the greatest need we have is to be saved forever through the work of the cross that Jesus Christ accomplished for us. Christ comes to live the life we could not live. He died the death that I deserved so that I would not have to. He had to reveal to me first that I could not earn my way to heaven. There was nothing I could do. No amount of church attendance, no amount of praying, no amount of doing good works or giving money. Nothing could, could, could commend me to a perfectly holy God because even my best efforts were anything but perfect. And a perfect God only accepts that which is perfect. And so God, if, if my good works could get me to heaven, who needs Jesus? I'm better than the whole lot of you people. I was one of the nicest guys I knew. And my works would outwork any of yours. I was a hell of a good guy. And that counted nothing. You know what that did? That made me think I didn't need Christ because I was good enough. And then I opened the Bible. And then the Spirit of God starts convicting. And he shows me, Frank... In you, as good as you may think it is, and as good as you may compare to many people you know, there's only one you're going to be compared to. Oh, really? Who's that? Jesus. Oh. And when I realized that Jesus didn't come to kick me out, I was already kicked out, but came to welcome me in. And he died. He paid the price so that I could come in. That's when I said, I don't need to be here anymore because here is death and separation from God. And here is life 
forever with God. In the dash and in the line. Forever. So that's the first thing I need. I need to be filled with the Spirit so that I'm taken out of death and I'm placed into life. This morning, maybe you're here. Well, you are here. But you are here, but maybe where you need the Spirit to work is you need the life that only the Spirit of God can give. This morning could be your opportunity to accept that life, to receive that life. Just out of curiosity, how many of you in here have received that life? Just, just raise your hand. You're, you know you've received that life. Okay. So there's lots of folks, if you're in here right now, just know God has done this work over and over and over. And I'm looking at faces of people that I love and so adore and I'm so grateful for that God has, I know who you were before Christ and some of you knew who I was before Christ and I have seen a transformation by the indwelling spirit that that ain't you. God did that. And so this morning, I want to encourage you. God brought you here to bring you to him, to bring you to Christ by the Holy Spirit. He wants to give you the life that he came to give you. Now, maybe you're here this morning as well. And you're just broken. There are things that have taken place in your life. You are hurting, desperately hurting. There is a hole in the inside of you. Um, you may even be in Christ, but you still are sensing such a, a brokenness and a, and a you're feeling like you're separated from God, even though you aren't, you feel that. Can I tell you, this morning, I believe the, the Spirit of God wants to bring to you that sense that He will never leave you. He is with you. And whatever that sense of brokenness or aloneness is, he wants to fill with himself. But here's the thing. Will you let him do that? Will you be filled with the Spirit? Maybe there's healing in your body that you need. A diagnosis that you are concerned about. That you may not be fully aware of or you are aware of. Maybe there's concern about your finances, about your job, about relationships, whatever they may be. God knows, and he may even be telling you that right now. He's filling in the blank for you. What do I need from the Spirit of God right now? What is it? For some of us, it's I need you. I need you. For some of us, it's... I need that peace. For some of it is I need, a, I need to know that you're with me. Again, you fill in the blank. But that's what we're going to do now. We're just going to take a moment to pray. And there are folks all over this room that want to pray with you. So can I just say this? Is this awkward? No, I do this all the time. Of course this is awkward. But I had that awkward moment when I said, when I got up in front of about four, five, six hundred people and said, 
I need who you've got. Could I encourage you? Don't let that awkwardness or that weirdness rob you of experiencing the God who stepped out of heaven to save you, to fill you, so that you would experience him and his love for you all the days of the dash and forever in the line to experience him right now, today, interrupting your loneliness, your sense of hopelessness, whatever it is going on, let him interrupt and destroy that. And so there are folks that are here to, to pray with you. And I'm just going to ask you this morning as we pray uh, to let God do that. Right? And I'm not going to put you on the spot in terms of asking you to publicly do something. But if you need prayer this morning, if you do need prayer of any sort, I'm, I'm just going to ask you to be bold. Don't do this for me, please. But if you need prayer, whether you're, whether you need to be taken out of Adam in Christ or you just need to know God's presence. Would you just raise your hand? Would you just do that? Would you be so bold as to raise your hand and say, God, I need to experience you. Now, folks are looking around at your hands so that they can pray for you. All right. Just raise them high just for a moment. Folks are looking around to be able to pray with you. Okay. And don't be surprised if you didn't raise your hand. Somebody may come up to you anyway. Because that's what the Holy Spirit does. He says, you know what? I want you to go pray for that person. Okay, hands up just one more time. Folks, you're looking around to pray. All right, well, let me pray. And as I'm praying, would you just move, folks? Would you move toward those folks who have asked for prayer? Ask them how you can pray for them. Maybe God will tell you some other ways in which you know to pray for them. And we'll pray. Father, um, thank you for this time this morning. Thank you that you intention, intentionally and in your way brought everyone into this room this morning. That was your idea. Beyond our idea, that was your idea. Lord, um, I pray for peace right now for everyone, Lord, as our eyes are shut and we're maybe doing something awkward and different for us. That this is not awkward for you and it's not different for you. But it's what you desire for each of every one of us to know you, Lord. I've got to pray for those this morning that are um, maybe here and they're still not in Christ. And they know that they need to be in Christ. Lord, would you just work in their heart, Spirit of God, to just say, Jesus, I... I am a sinner and I need a savior and I ask you to come into my life and take over my life henceforth and forevermore. I don't know what I'm doing, but I do know I need you. I need something more than what I have. And it sounds like you're the something more I need. And so God, would you do that right now? And whoever is in this room that has not yet bowed their lives to you, Lord, would you just do that? Just to, to step out, just take a big step in faith and say, Jesus, I'm yours. Come and take over. Change me from the inside out forever. 
And Lord, if there are those needing healing today, or just a sense of your presence, we ask, Spirit of God, would you, would you just come and do what, Lord, we have experienced so many times, but we ask you to do that today. And so, Lord, as we uh, just spend this time in prayer, just let us experience your presence, the peace of God that passes all understanding, guarding our hearts and our minds in Jesus Christ. So, folks, just want to, if you're praying with folks, uh, please do that. If you're not praying with anyone, I just would encourage you to let this just be a quiet time for you, just with God. Just have a conversation with God for a few minutes, and then I'll come back and, uh, and we will uh, adjourn our time together. Okay? So let's pray together.